Section 12 of Going Abroad, Some Advice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Going Abroad, Some Advice by Robert Luce. Somewhat Financial, Part 1. Merchants in different countries are accustomed to pay each other by means of bills of exchange, not with cash. For example, Jones of New York owes a certain amount to Schmidt of Berlin. Braun of Berlin owes the same amount to Henry of New York. If Jones pays that amount to Henry and Braun pays an equal amount to Schmidt, the debts will be cancelled. Perhaps Henry accomplishes it by writing a draft on Braun, an order to Braun to pay the amount in question to the bearer of the order, a paper called a bill of exchange, which he sells to Jones. Then Jones mails the order to his creditor, Schmidt, who presents it to Braun and gets his money. This saves the expressage on two shipments of gold. When the whole body of American merchants owe more money abroad than is owed to them, somebody must ship some gold across the water. Whoever has a bill of exchange, a draft on a foreign merchant can pay his foreign debts at the cost of a postage stamp. Whoever cannot get such a bill must pay the cost of shipping gold. This makes a demand for bills of exchange, increases their value, and the rate of exchange is said to be high. Vice versa, when the foreign merchants owe the more, bills of exchange hunt for purchasers, their value lessens, and the rate of exchange is said to be low. No traveler wants a large amount of gold on his person or in his luggage, for it is heavy and it is likely to be stolen. So he takes advantage of the system of bills of exchange. He may, if he choose, buy these bills of an American merchant or banker and sell them to some banker or merchant when he gets abroad. But it is more convenient and is the common practice for him to arrange with an American banker to honor drafts, which the traveler draws when and where occasion may demand. In other words, he sells to some foreign banker an order on the American banker, which then becomes a bill of exchange and goes traveling through foreign banks till it finds some foreign merchant who wants to pay a bill in America, buys it, mails it to his creditor, who in turn presents it to the American banker and gets his money. Of course, the thing is complicated and modified when a banking house has many agencies, and you draw at one for money you have deposited at another, but the general principle of exchange holds. Letters of Credit when a banker gives you what is virtually a certificate that he will honor your drafts to a given amount, the paper is called a circular letter of credit. There is attached to it a list of bankers in other countries who are obligated to cash the drafts, but as they will be honored, whoever presents them to the house issuing the letter, you can sell them to any banker or other person not on the printed list, though it is customary to get drafts cashed at the banking places specified. The practice of banking houses in issuing letters of credit varies somewhat in the matter of terms. The simplest method is to sell it outright, in which case if you pay $1,000, you get a credit of $1,000, or its exact equivalent in pounds. There are being charged in addition a fee of 1% for issuing the credit. Under this method, you get no interest for your money. The banker has the use of it till your drafts are presented, and this with his commission and what he may make through the rates of exchange is what remunerates him 
another method is for you to deposit with the banker what sum you please for which you get a letter of credit in which the pound is figured at five dollars instead of in the neighborhood of four dollars eighty six cents its real value as your drafts come in they are figured at the prevailing rate of exchange and you are debited with their amounts on that basis furthermore you are allowed interest at the time this is written two per cent is being allowed but should the demand for money increase a higher rate will prevail on your return if you have not drawn to the full value of the letter you collect whatever balance may stand to your credit this method may be the more economical if your deposit is large and you do not reduce your balance rapidly the letter of credit may also be secured by depositing with the banker high-grade securities against which he will advance what money you may draw thus you will profit by what interest they may bear and by any increase in their value if your standing in the financial world is high you may be able to arrange with the banker not to deposit either money or securities but to have your drafts presented by him at your counting room it might be said that in such a case you deposited your credit rather than your cash in return for what you pay the banker for issuing the letter of credit you get these advantages the carriage of your wealth in the most portable form a sheet of paper and in the safest form for if the sheet is lost nobody can use it without forging your name and by at once notifying your banker you can have him stop payment the chance to get the money of the country at its lowest cost in every city you are likely to visit the use of a list of bankers in whose care your mail may safely be addressed and who will forward it without charge wherever you may direct the chance to use the facilities for writing and newspaper reading with which most foreign banking houses are supplied and the profits that accrue to the man who has bills of exchange for sale these profits are not inconsiderable and instances are sometimes reported of shrewd american financiers who pay a small part of the cost of a foreign trip by watching the local market for bills of exchange and speculating as they go along of course it takes experience and wide commercial knowledge to do this the ordinary letters of credit are seldom issued for less amounts than a hundred pounds in round numbers five hundred dollars when issued for smaller amounts they cost as much as if issued for the full hundred pounds so if your ready money when you are about to start is less than five hundred dollars it will be cheaper to take it with you in some other form the common method is to buy what are really drafts for stipulated amounts which can be cashed at banks hotels tourist agencies and many other places some bankers issue them under the name of patent credits which are sheets of checks for five pounds twenty five dollars each the aggregate being two hundred fifty dollars five hundred dollars one thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars or at the option of the buyer they give the holder the same privileges in the use of foreign banking house conveniences that he would secure with the ordinary letter of credit but you must draw your money in multiples of twenty five dollars while on the ordinary letter of credit you can draw any amount you wish be it large or small to the face value less previous drafts of course the commission charge is one per cent so that a patent credit for two hundred fifty dollars can be secured for two dollars fifty cents where the ordinary letter of credit would cost five dollars
the commission for anything less than five hundred dollars the same purpose is accomplished by the checks of the banking house instituted for this very end and by the traveler's checks of the express company the banking house issues books of checks each of which has the maximum amount for which it can be drawn printed and perforated but it may be drawn for any smaller amount from a penny up if checks are drawn for smaller amounts than the maximum the balances are credited to the owner of the book to go toward a new book or to be refunded the system therefore has the advantage of permitting the holder of a book to pay his bills with checks exactly as he would at home and virtually amounts to a bank deposit against which the depositor can readily draw without the need of personal acquaintance with the person to whom the check is paid as with ordinary banks there is no charge for opening the account and the bank gets its profit from the use of the money it allows a small rate of interest the express company system is one of checks in fixed denominations of ten twenty fifty a hundred and two hundred dollars with the exact foreign money equivalents paid therefor in gold or its equivalent in the principal countries of europe printed on each check this certainty as to what he is to receive is an advantage to the holder unacquainted with foreign currencies or exposed to deception but the chief merit of the express checks is the ease with which they can be cashed hotel and shopkeepers all along the general routes will accept them in payment of bills or will cash them the banker is not always easily found or in such a city as paris your pension may be a mile or two away banking rooms are open only in the daytime and on sundays and fete days but a few hours if at all so that to reach them at the right time in hurried traveling you may have to waste a day thus even if you carry the bulk of your money in the form of a letter of credit it may be wise to have express orders on hand for speedy use furthermore you can cash them in smaller amounts than you like to get at a banker's the advantage of getting a small amount also counts sometimes when you are about to go from one country to another and haven't quite ready money enough as if you draw a considerable sum from the banker you may lose on the exchange when you get into the other country also if the members of a family or traveling party are to separate for a while the checks may be divided between them identification is secured by comparison of signatures the commission for issuing is half of one per cent they are sold for cash under guarantee of the buyer and a responsible bank trust company or banker or against deposits of cash or high-grade marketable securities their one disadvantage is that they allow no chance for profiting by fluctuations in the rate of exchange were it not for this their reasonable cost and many conveniences would make them even more popular than they are now currency gold is the international standard of value in europe and nominally an ounce of gold has the same purchasing power the world over no matter how it may be labeled yet even gold is liable to the local fluctuations of demand and supply in gibraltar for example by reason of the trade relations with england a given amount of gold minted at london may command a higher premium than an equal amount minted at paris where the demands of exchange do not affect the matter a coin is naturally worth more in its own country than in another so that if you were going from france to germany it would be wiser to buy german gold in paris than to wait till you reach berlin 
and there buy it with french gold for the same reason do not expect to sell at a premium what foreign gold you may bring home with you from europe i have been told that united states one and two dollar bills command a considerable premium in many parts of europe by reason i suppose of their utility in making small remittances to the states by mail but when i acted on this and sent a dollar bill to a london house to pay for merchandise priced at four shillings and two pence they sent word asking me in future to remember that they had to sell such bills at a discount yet somewhere i was assured that an american traveller had made a considerable sum by carrying a big roll of american bills to europe with him and selling them to money changers the paper money of several countries is a depreciated currency and is nowhere worth its face value the effect is deceptive you go to italy for instance with the impression that a lira is worth a franc and when you get in the exchange more liras than you had francs you think you have made money but your lira is worth less it buys less and you have actually profited only on paper this statement however must be modified by calling attention to the fact that prices of small articles together with many standard rates such as those of hotels and railroads are not changed as currency fluctuates when the lira drops a cent or two in italy the hotel still charges ten liras and a ticket from florence to rome still has the same nominal price so as your english or french gold buys more liras you are the gainer i have already pointed out that therefore it is not wise to buy railroad tickets in a country other than that where a depreciated currency prevails for use in that country a bank of england note is as good as british gold anywhere in the civilized world and is much more easy to carry furthermore it is numbered so that in case of loss payment can be stopped on the whole it is better to carry english gold than that of any other nation for the reason that it is usually more in demand furthermore the integrity of the english mint is unquestioned and the accuracy of its coinage is unimpeachable which gives its coins a slight advantage for use on shipboard then and for immediate use after landing before you can get to a banker's it is well to take some english coins or banknotes from new york or wherever you sail your banker will sell it to you at a lower premium than a money changer will charge doing it merely as an accommodation and not expecting the money changer's profit the pursers of the boats will change money until their stock runs short but of course they do not make quite so favorable rates of exchange as you can get on shore the wine lists of the various boats are priced in the currency of the nation under whose flag the boat sails and there is a slight advantage in paying in that currency fix it in your head that the shilling and the mark the common silver coins of the british and german coinage respectively are worth about a quarter of a dollar the franc french the lira italian the peseta spanish the gulden dutch and the crown austrian are worth about twenty cents the crown in denmark norway and sweden a trifle more than a quarter of a dollar the silver florin in holland and austria about forty and the ruble in russia about fifty cents the abbreviations for florin and franc may be easily confounded when written so look out for them french silver goes in belgium and switzerland the more common gold pieces are twenty shillings a sovereign or pound in great britain four dollars eighty six cents twenty francs in france 
$3.86, 20 marks in Germany, $4.76, and 20 crowns in Austria, $4.05. In Great Britain, ordinary prices are more often given in shillings than in pounds. For the larger prices, the term guinea is often used, though there is no coin of that denomination. A guinea means 21 shillings, one more than there are in the pound, and is equivalent to about $5.10. The crown of five shillings is worth about $1.20. The two-shilling piece and the half-crown are nearly the same size and are easily confused in the handling. Likewise, the half-sovereign and the sixpence may be confused in the dark and lead to costly errors. In America, we carelessly use the term penny as the equivalent of a cent. The penny is really worth two cents, and the halfpenny is equal to the cent. Before going from one country to another, get rid of all you can of the currency of the country you are leaving. The copper and nickel coins of one country are worthless in all others. You might just as well squander them as to carry them over the line. There are exchange offices at many of the frontier stations, but you can get better rates at the money changers' bureaus in the city from which you depart. Foreign money changers are not always gifted with Americans' consciences and frequently need watching. Now and then, if you are skillful, you can drive a good bargain with one, but as a rule, it is safer to deal with a banking house. The guidebooks advise travelers to beware of worthless banknotes and say that especially in Italy, there are notes afloat that have only depreciated value, if any at all. The safest course is to give and get gold whenever you can. As for myself, the safest course is to give and get gold wherever you can. As for myself, I never got caught on anything save a Swiss two-franc piece that was undoubtedly genuine, but for some reason or other had been tabooed and disowned by the Swiss government. We are so little accustomed in America to handling gold that it is not hard to make blunders in its use. The pieces of 20 shillings, francs, or marks are so near the size of the silver shilling, franc, or mark that if you are not careful, you may find you have paid out at night or when in haste a gold piece where you meant to give one of silver. You can guard against this by using two purses of different size, invariably keeping gold in one, silver in the other, or a purse with an inner pocket in which the gold should be kept. Some persons, usually of the more timid sex, carry most of their money in chamois skin bags attached to a ribbon round the neck. People who travel in barbaric countries get oiled silk bags to wear under the clothing at the waist. But such precautions are no more needed in Europe than in America. Women can get safety enough by using a pocket in the petticoat, which should be hooked or pinned with a safety pin. The cautious man will keep his letter of credit, passport, etc., in an inside vest pocket, fastened likewise with the safety pin. Going through customs houses. When landing in any foreign country, and whenever you cross the line between any two countries, you must go through the tedious farce of a customs house examination. It is tedious because it delays the journey from half an hour to two hours, at points utterly devoid of interest, and it is a farce for about all American tourists because they carry nothing on which duty is collected. Liquor, tobacco, and food are the things more sought for than anything else, and the traveler is likely to carry none of them in dutiable quantities. 
the trunks are all taken from what we call the baggage car and what the english call the luggage van placed on long tables and opened when you produce the key if you are good-natured and show no uneasiness the examining official will make only the most cursory examination often merely lifting the lid if you claim two or three trunks frequently you will be asked to open but one don't suggest which one it shall be or the official will have another opened some tourists observing how careless the examinations usually are will foolishly conclude that they don't amount to anything and on crossing the frontier at night will not take the trouble to get out and open their trunks the next morning they are surprised to learn that the trunks have been left at the frontier and complain because their heedlessness causes them delay trouble and expense frequently it is not necessary to take hand luggage from the car racks into the examining room an official will glance into the compartment to see if anything suspicious is there but the ordinary bag or shawl strap bundle will not seem to him worth laboring about so don't move your luggage till somebody in authority tells you to do it i never knew of anybody's being an examiner in a foreign customs house so rarely has a tourist anything dutiable that among travelling americans at least the attempt to bribe is very rare would that the same thing might be said about homecoming americans whether or not the customs authorities of american ports are in earnest in their attempts to suppress bribery the sad fact is that it goes on though by no means to the extent commonly supposed it goes on and public opinion does not suppress it to dodge taxes and to bribe customs house officials to deceive the assessor and the inspector are venial sins in the eyes of many people who would not cheat their neighbors nor steal a cent when public opinion does not frown on a public practice however sinful or criminal that practice may be it is hypocritical in a writer to content himself with an abstract denunciation of it let me leave the right and wrong of the thing to the moralist and take the more practical course of pointing out the folly of it to the fashionable woman who tries to smuggle in a thousand dollars worth of laces i have nothing to say to the man who sews diamonds in his clothes i have nothing to say my advice will be solely to the traveller who brings home with him a reasonable amount of clothing and the ordinary mementos and bric-a-brac one picks up in a foreign tour such a person wastes every cent he gets stealthily into the hands of an inspector uncle sam is not petty and inquisitorial in this matter he seeks to tax only those who make large purchases abroad it would not do for him to say in so many words that you can bring in a pack of playing cards but not two packs nor ten packs nor a hundred packs but he isn't going to turn your trunk upside down for the sake of finding a solitary pack of cards he is willing you should bring in clothing to an extent and of a quality suitable to your station in life and he says so he is willing you should bring in such curios and souvenirs of slight value as you can easily carry in your luggage when his representative seated in the cabin while the boat is coming up the harbor asks you to sign a statement that you have nothing dutiable he knows perfectly well that the chances are a hundred to one against your being able to make that statement and yet tell the truth to the tiniest detail it is in short a case where everybody recognizes that the spirit of the law is of more importance than the letter even if you have with you 
the results of such purchases as the framers of tariff legislation meant to reach it will usually be cheaper to pay the duty than to bribe suppose it does cost you ten dollars or fifteen dollars more isn't it better to have a clear conscience and besides feeling that you have done the square thing to uncle sam yourself know that you have tempted none of his employees to violate their oaths as well as run the risk of losing their positions pardon this bit of moralizing it is meant merely to emphasize the advice i would give to would-be smugglers the same advice that punch gave to those about to marry don't frankness is cheaper than a five-dollar bill and usually works just as well but there is no need to be painfully confiding to an inspector to ask him don't you think this tortoise-shell comb is dutiable patience and good nature are the most useful qualities in an american customs house as well as in the foreign customs house a smile and a joke get one through quicker and easier if time presses an express agent will save you delay at the moment by sending your trunk through in bond to any place you may designate where there is a customs house but in the long run the cost of time will be much greater to say nothing of the express charges for the chances are when you go to get your trunk out of bond you will find an inspector with plenty of time to make a thorough examination once i tried this the inspector took out every single article of a large and miscellaneous collection spread the whole museum on a table and went through it slowly simply to make a show of earning his salary i take it for though there were several things that might have been taxed he didn't levy a cent of duty perhaps the fact that the trunk had been sent through in bond was enough to make him suspicious that it contained something of value i feared the new york inspectors might seize anyway it took the best part of a forenoon to accomplish what would have been done on the wharf in ten minutes had i but waited abroad if you should send a trunk to a steamboat wharf in another country it will go in bond and you are not supposed to open it till it gets on the boat this may be worth while remembering when you pack it the provision as to passengers effects in the dingley tariff law at this writing in force in the united states is as follows paragraph six hundred ninety seven wearing apparel articles of personal adornment toilet articles and similar personal effects of persons arriving in the united states but this exemption shall only include such articles as actually accompany and are in the use of and as are necessary and appropriate for the wear and use of such persons for the immediate purposes of the journey and present comfort and convenience and shall not be held to apply to merchandise or articles intended for other persons or for sale provided that in case of residents of the united states returning from abroad all wearing apparel and other personal effects taken by them out of the united states to foreign countries shall be admitted free of duty without regard to their value upon their identity being established under appropriate rules and regulations to be prescribed by the secretary of the treasury but no more than one hundred dollars in value of articles purchased abroad by such residents of the united states shall be admitted free of duty upon their return as this provision is interpreted the effects taken out of the country by a resident of the united states may come back free at any time provided their identity is established if therefore the resident has any expectation or apprehension that his effects may not return on the same boat with him he should file with the collector at the port of departure a sworn declaration of what they are 
the resident who brings back more than one hundred dollars in value of articles bought abroad may choose which of them shall be classed as excess and will naturally choose those on which the lowest rates of duty are levied if he does not make the selection it is the duty of the inspector to reverse the thing and assess the article subject to the highest rate resident is construed to mean anybody who makes a journey abroad and during absence has no fixed place of abode a person who has been abroad more than two years and has there had a fixed abode for a year or more is to be considered as a non-resident here no invoices are required for personal effects accompanying the passenger but it will be well for every traveler to have with him and ready for exhibit the bills for any articles of consequence he may have bought abroad every member of a family is entitled to free entry of one hundred dollars worth of personal effects but women's wearing apparel brought by a man or man's apparel brought by a woman is not free especially stringent are the rules against the importation of sealskin garments made of the fur of seals killed in the north pacific ocean since december twenty ninth eighteen ninety seven unless it can be proved to the contrary the regulations assume that the garment comes under the prohibition so that any traveler who takes a sealskin garment out of the country is liable to its forfeiture unless a certificate describing it has been obtained from the collector of customs at the port of departure the tariff rates on some of the articles most likely to be brought by tourists are as follows the figures being the percentage ad valorem of the value unless otherwise indicated bonnets silk sixty books charts maps twenty five clothing ready-made cotton sixty linen silk and woolen fifty diamonds uncut free cut but not set ten cut and set sixty engravings twenty five flowers artificial fifty fur manufacturers of thirty five furniture wood thirty five glassware plain and cut sixty gold manufacturers of not jewelry forty five jewelry sixty musical instruments forty five paintings and marble statuary twenty rugs oriental ten cents a square foot and forty per cent silk laces wearing apparel sixty the dingley law in its relation to passengers effects and the methods used in its enforcement at the port of new york have been the subject of the severest strictures at the hands of the new york evening post and its adherents undoubtedly the annoyances at first were considerable but they were in large measure due to the inclination of many travelers to violate a law that the customs officials were in duty bound to enforce as usual the instruments of the law incurred the odium that should attach to the makers of the law if to anybody whether the regulations are or are not needlessly stringent no honest man who believes in fair play can reprove the serious attempt to stop the bribery of inspectors on new york wharves it is our national hope that we live in a country where there is not one law for the rich and another for the poor a hope that wanes wherever officials can be bought the bribe taker and the bribe giver are equally an offence and a menace in a democracy in great britain dutiable goods are tobacco wines liquors tea coffee cocoa and florida water each passenger may take in free a flask of spirits and half a pound of tobacco for private use up to three pounds of tobacco may be passed on payment of a duty of five shillings a pound with the addition in the matter of cigars 
of a slight fine for contravention of the law forbidding the importation in chests of less than ten thousand a broken box of cigars will go through without trouble foreign reprints of english copyrighted books and music are absolutely confiscated and therefore tauchnitz editions and the pirated american editions will be seized if seen firearms and ammunition cannot be landed in ireland unless declared to customs and then they will be detained until a magistrate's warrant to carry them has been granted dogs are not allowed to land without a license previously obtained from the board of agriculture for whitehall place london southwest in france tobacco wines and liquors are subject to duty matches are strictly prohibited and liable to confiscation household goods and wearing apparel are admitted free with but few if any questions asked the penalty for false declarations is heavy the duty on ordinary tobacco is three dollars a kilogram two and one-fifth pounds on turkish tobacco five dollars on cigars and cigarettes seven dollars twenty cents the traveler is allowed to take in free not more than twenty cigars or half a pound of tobacco and is liable to a fine of five times the duty if they are not declared i suspect however that very few broken boxes of cigars pay any duty italy is harder yet on the smoker allowing free entry to only one and one-third ounces of tobacco travelers found in possession of more than this anywhere in italy are liable to a fine of about fourteen dollars if they cannot prove that the duty has been paid this however is more terrifying than dangerous one might run greater risk in venturing to smoke an italian cigar in germany switzerland and belgium the only articles subject to duty which travelers would be likely to carry are tobacco and spirits and on these the duty is trifling in the netherlands tobacco spirits and all articles usually carried by travelers are admitted free foreign prices everybody goes abroad for the first time with the expectation that everything can be bought there to better advantage than at home this is not the fact on the contrary europe sells few things more cheaply taking quality into account as well as price the most common misconception is in the matter of english clothes for men plenty of tailors in london offer to make a business suit for twelve or fifteen dollars twenty five dollars would be a price far above the average compared with the new york range of prices from twenty five dollars to forty dollars london seems to be giving away clothes but even though the cloth may equal or surpass that offered in new york of corresponding grade the workmanship is poor and the fit is abominable except that given by a few of the high-priced west end shops a friend tells me that once he traveled for two weeks on the continent in a suit that had been quickly made in london which disclosed such a wealth of white linen between trousers and vest that he had to keep the lowest button of the coat buttoned all the time then he gave the suit away to a hotel porter i asked a london tailor why he didn't make better clothes because he answered you people have taken all our best workmen my friend bought a meerschaum pipe in munich and thought he had a bargain when he got back to boston a pipe merchant offered to duplicate it for fifty cents less he maintained that the best meerschaum pipe makers have come across to america furthermore our leading merchants vie with each other in offering imported goods and competition has reduced to a minimum their profits on all standard lines indeed no small part of the income of ocean steamers 
comes from the buyers who are sent across the water to get fabrics and other merchandise says one of them we go direct to the factories and buy their goods and pay duty on the wholesale price and then by selling at a close margin of profit can come very near duplicating the prices demanded by the shopkeepers along the fashionable thoroughfares of europe it would be almost safe to make the general assertion that europe excels us now only in products requiring an artistic environment peculiar properties of soil or climate or the labor of workpeople so poor that they cannot emigrate good paintings would naturally be cheaper where museums abound and art students congregate than in american cities with the climatic conditions of northern italy particularly adapted to the mulberry and the silkworm it is not surprising to find silks cheaper in milan than in chicago the handmade laces of belgium and venice cannot be approached in countries where girls will not work for a pittance in nearly everything requiring the use of machinery american prices are the better for the buyer in boots and shoes for instance massachusetts can undersell the world in watches we can match any european products except perhaps those of geneva where generations of hand workmen have accumulated a fund of skilled knowledge that enables the place to sell to foreigners on the strength of superiority in some details though not in all possibly in none of those concerning the watch that would be bought by the mass of mankind end of section twelve